Shabbat Shalom. I'm Rabbi David Levine, and this is Live from Home and Live from the Sanctuary. Shabbat Shalom. I'm Sandy Levine. Welcome. We want to welcome all the Beth Israel Messianic, Messianic Synagogue members who are in the sanctuary this morning. Shabbat Shalom to you, everyone joining us on Facebook Live and all our podcast listeners from around the world. This morning is Yom Shabbat, Saturday, August 29th, 2020, and Cantor Aaron Jacobs will lead us in Hebrew prayers, Rebetz and Ina, and Rabbi Yuri Korshin will lead us in worship and we'll study the scriptures together. I want to encourage you to click the share button on this Facebook post and invite your Facebook friends to join us. As we get ready to worship, let's thank the Lord for this Shabbat, that we can be together, we can be with him, and we can enter into his rest and be refreshed. So from Sandy and me, we say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Now let's welcome Cantor Aaron Jacobs to Live from the Sanctuary. We are clearly blessed by your presence here. And for all of you who still can't make it to come uh, here in person, we are blessed by you sharing your time with us as we worship together. So let us start with the first of the formal blessings, the Bar Hu. If everyone will please join me. Bless the Lord, the Blessed One. Blessed is the Lord, the Blessed One, for all eternity. Barku et Adonai Hamborach, Baruch Adonai Hamborach, Leolam Vaed. And we continue with the blessing of Messiah, where we thank God for giving us the way of salvation through his precious and atoning sacrifice. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu ederech ha-Yeshua, be-Mashiach Yeshua. Amen. And we continue with the Bishamru. If you wonder what the scriptural basis is for us gathering here today and worshiping together, this is it. The children of Israel shall keep the Shabbat, observing it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord.
now continue with the Shema. The Shema means to listen, hear, reflect, internalize, and very importantly, what you have internalized to live out in action in our world today. So if you will face towards the east, I will give you a moment to reflect on that idea, those words, and then we will commence the Shema together. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom for all eternity. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha v'kol avaka v'kol nashika v'kol me'odecha v'hayu Hadavrim ha'ele asher anuchi mitzvakah yom alevavecha veshinatam lebanecha vedibarta habam veshevtaka bevatecha uvlechtaka vederesh uvishashvika uvikumecha uksharatam leot Al yedecha ve'ahula totefot benanecha uktatame mezozot betecha uvisharecha. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And have these words which I command you this day be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you retire, and when you arise. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and let them be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and upon your gates. Amen. That, as you all know, is the first most important commandment. Yeshua tells us this. It is the way you grow and understand your personal relationship with our God. Yeshua goes on to tell us the second most important commandment, and it's how we live this knowledge of God and share it with those around us in a true and meaningful way. Ve'ahata l'reika chamocha, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, truly. We continue with the Avot. Please join me. <clears throat> Blessed are you, Lord our God and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the great, mighty, and awesome God, the most high God who bestows grace and creates all, 
and remembers the kindnesses of the fathers and brings a redeemer to their children's children for his name's sake with love. O King, Savior, Savior and Shield, blessed are you, Shield of Abraham. Sorry. Join me as we continue with the very beautiful Giverah. You, O Lord, are mighty forever. You raise the dead. You are mighty to save. You sustain the living with grace. Resurrect the dead with abundant mercy. Uphold the falling. Heal the sick. Set free those in bondage. And keep faith with those that sleep in the dust. Who is like you, master of mighty deeds? And who can compare to you, king, who causes death and restores life and makes salvation sprout? And you are faithful to resurrect the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who resurrects the dead. We'll continue our worship with a little more music. Welcome everybody again, and God bless.
rejoice with one heart with one soul to give you glory to worship you Lord and to be in your presence
Thank you, Rebbe Zanina. Thank you, worship team. It's really great that we can participate like this. And it's great that we can pray together. I want to encourage everyone who's in the synagogue right now, everyone in the sanctuary, and everyone as well who's watching on Facebook Live or listening later, if you would join in praying for all the folks in our mishpocha who are in mourning, who lost a loved one, uh, most recently Rabbi Victor Valensky in Crimea, his father passed away this week and was buried on Thursday. James White um, lost his father here in Jacksonville recently. We also want to thank the Lord for Maria Perez. She's on her way back home from Mexico after her surgery, and she tells us that she had no pain and she's had a great recovery so far. She and her daughter Yaslin are driving back, and Maria sends her gratitude 
to everyone for all your prayers and words of comfort. We want to pray also for those who are battling COVID-19 themselves or in their families and those who are dealing with other health issues. And we want to pray for all the young people, all the college students too, who are back in school, as well as their teachers. We want to lift up everyone who is affected by Hurricane Laura and everyone who is facing financial or job challenges or challenges with their business during this season. And don't forget folks in Jacksonville that 60 years ago, Axe Handled Saturday, August 27th, 1960. It was really a time almost like a pogrom when axe wielding racists here in Jacksonville beat up young blacks who were engaged in a peaceful non-violent sit-in. So let's pray. Lord, we lift up our mishpacha this morning. We pray for the peace that surpasses understanding. We pray for healing, for comfort, for recovery, and for provision in Yeshua's name. Amen. Right now we want to receive our offerings, though if you're in the sanctuary, we will not pass baskets around. You can give your offerings through the drop box at uh, the lobby area. But I want to thank everyone who has continued in their generosity and faithfulness. We're so grateful for your steady giving of your tithes and of, of, of your offerings as well. Thank you for your good attitude, your cheerfulness too. And I also want to encourage everyone to consider joining in with special offerings to provide for extra disinfecting processes and for uh, JSO security. So if you want to participate now, if you want to participate in online giving, you can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving, and you'll get all the information about online giving platforms, giving fire and PayPal, which we have very safe and secure and easy to set up. Also, you can find our mailing address for checks and for bank bill pay services. So thank you for your support. And we just thank the Lord for everyone who's participating. And I want to invite Rabbi Yuri back on the screen. Rabbi Yuri, welcome. Thank you, Rabbi David. Shabbat Shalom, Rabbi David. Shabbat Shalom, y'all. <laughs> Looks like it's our new tradition from yesterday. And actually, I miss these greetings. Shabbat Shalom, y'all. So today we have a very interesting Torah portion, and I want to go straight to this Torah portion. First of all, I'm happy to see you all here, and especially your beautiful smile. I mean, it's a great, no, <laughs> different, and I mean, I can see face shields here. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So, so Parshat Etze, come out. Actually, good, come out. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 10 to Deuteronomy 25, verse 19. So I don't have much time today, but I want to uh, share with you a very interesting idea. Uh, and you can write it down or remember it or listen to it later. It's very simple, but it's very important. Never put down your spiritual shield. Never put down your spiritual shield. Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. Watch out. You adversary, the enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion, searching for someone to devour. Stand up against him, firm in your faith. Never put down your spiritual shield. Usually, I have one principle to share with you. Usually, when we win a victory in some spiritual area of our life, we tend to celebrate, to relax, to calm down. It's kind of our natural uh, response. But the Bible teaches us never to lower the shield of faith, to always watch what is happening in our hearts and in our minds and what's happening around us in our spiritual life. Please remember the story of King David when he decided to take the wife of his friend. And I want to read it from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse, from first verse. And please be with me here. 2 Samuel 11, 1. Now it came to pass at the turn of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, 
that David sent Joab and his officials with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabban. But David stayed in Jerusalem. So, verse second, what happened next? One evening, David rose from his bed. Nothing happened, everything's fine, he's resting. And strolled on the roof of the royal palace. Then, from the roof, he saw a woman washing, a very beautiful woman. And you know the rest of the story. Today, my intent is not to justify or to condemn King David. I don't want to speak about it today. But rather, to draw our attention to the fact that having just had several great victories in his life, in battle in his life, King David suddenly experienced a serious defeat in his life. After great victory came great defeat. It was on occasion when David, who should have been on the battlefield, it was his time to be on the battle. Leading his army to another victory, he decided to relax at home, leaving his entire army to do battle without him. You see the problem here. He relaxed. He just chilled out. He decided to not go to battle anymore. It's enough for me. I pray too much. I fight too much. I fast too much. I need to relax. It's a time to relax. <laughs> Remember the story of Elijah who experienced a great victory over the many prophets of Baal, but then suddenly became fearful of Jezebel, the queen. So fearful of her that he fled into the wilderness. After the greatest victory in Israel, in his life, after the greatest revival, came the greatest defeat for him. He fled to wilderness. And remember his prayer there, Lord, I want to die. I can't do anything. I'm so afraid. I'm so tired. I don't have power to overcome it. And it is Elijah, man of God who's strong in his spiritual life. So let's read the passage from the Torah chapter for today, and I want to draw the same conclusions from this Torah portion. So before I will read it, uh, I want to say right away that this place was applicable in ancient times. It doesn't applicable today. Now we cannot take other people's wives as prisoners. Please don't apply it for your life <laughs> in a um, practical sense. <laughs> but I want to show some spiritual problems here. So Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 10. When you go out to war against your enemies, Deuteronomy 21, 10. And Adonai your God hands them over to you. So is it victory? Yes, it is victory. Adonai give, gave them to you. And you take them captive. Suppose you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you desire her and would, uh, would take her as a wife for yourself. Then you are to bring her into your house and she must shave her head, trim her nails, and remove her captive's clothing. Then sit in your house and weep for her father and mother a full month. Full month, 30 days. After that, you may go to her and become her husband, and she will be your wife. So, the first thoughts that come to my mind reading this, why this woman, captured by a warrior, was, uh, uh, who should, why should not be immediately his wife, become his wife? What's the, this month pro process here? So, first of all, such a woman obviously needs time to mourn the loss of her relatives, for sure. She needs to have a time. Her culture, the past that she has always known. The Lord shows his love for such people by directing her captor to give her time to recover, recover from her grief. So this month, it's the mercy from the Lord to this woman. So she can grieve, she can cry, she can remember her parents and relatives. It shows the mercy and the love of God towards even the enemies. He loves everyone. And the second idea behind this. 
the warrior needs time to take a good look at this woman. What do you think? Is it important or not? Maybe she's beautiful, but you know, better to watch out. <laughs> Will she be able to break with her past? God always concerned by women from other nations who would marry into his chosen, bringing along the influence of the false gods of those nations. The problem was not with women, but what is she bringing with her to the family of the Jewish people? This warrior must now decide, will this woman be able to break with her false gods and accept the God of Israel as her own? Or will she lead the warrior and his family into the worship of false gods as she has always known? This is a very important statement, and we need to remember that. You know, um, I want to see um, in the scriptures one more place to read today. It's Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 and 4. You see, there were very clear examples of haste in the history of Israel, of haste that resulted in very disturbing consequences. From the history of Israel, we can see the examples of it. So Nehemiah chapter, I'm sorry, Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 4. Ezra 9, 1, 4. Now when these things had been completed, the leaders approached me to say, The people of Israel, the Kahanim and the Levites, have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land, who practice detestable things just like the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. So all these nations around had influence in, on Israel. They had very distur disturbing and destructive influence inside of Israel. Why? What was the reason? What was the channel for this influence? Let's read. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons and have mingled the holy seed with the peoples of the land. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the officials have been at the forefront in this unfaithful act. When I heard this report, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled out some of the hair, not all the hair, some of the hair, from my head and from my beard. Then I sat down devastated. So the problem was not with the women, women of this land. The problem was, the heart of the problem was in different things. Because the Torah allows people from other tribes and nations to become part of Israel. It was open for all the nations of the world to become a part of Israel. And we know the story of Ruth. Do you remember who she was? She was Ruth the Moabite. But despite that she was a Moabite, she became to be a part of Israel and grandmother of the great King David. So it's great. Also, we know about Rahav, Caleb, and many, many more people in the scriptures who became a part of Israel. But the root of the problem in that time was that women from other nations had influenced Israel to follow their foreign gods and to believe the superstitions of their people. So it's not about people here. It's about their hearts. It's about their readiness to, to be part of Israel. And it's very interesting and important uh, word for us. So guard your shield. Not allowed temptations or sins to come into your life. Always be ready with your shield. So I want to uh, read one more place of scripture for today. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Please open with me, because this, I believe, an idea from this Torah portion. Matthew 12, 25. Knowing their thoughts, Yeshua said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is destroyed. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Remember about it. 
Do not allow this division to come into your heart. It is the end. Even if you are beautiful outside and strong and you have everything you need, if division will come into your heart, division following the Lord, division in your spiritual life, it's already an end of your spiritual life, even if you don't feel it yet. So the problem was that they put their shield down. They were not careful about commandment from the Lord, about this very important part. Children of God are often naive, too simple where wisdom is needed. It is easier to say the Lord will take care of me, but we need to remember that he gave us his wisdom and ability to think so we will know we must be careful. So often people walk into a problem without taking time to consider its consequences. Later, these consequences return to bite them, and now they might, must deal with it. So this is why it said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent like as doves. So thank you very much, and let's welcome Rabbi David. Rabbi David. Thank you, Rabbi Yuri. You had some great insights there. I really enjoyed uh, the thoughts, especially about the extra time that's given for the warrior to consider the woman that he considers so attractive. Great thoughts about that. Mishpacha, I want to say Shabbat Shalom to you and greet you all in the, who are there in the synagogue. Can you say Shabbat Shalom back so I can hear you? It'd be great to hear from you. And also, I want to tell you, I want to continue our studies about Elul. We're in the second lesson for Elul. And I want to look at a lesson from Jewish history from the book of Nehemiah. You can turn to chapter 9 in the book of Nehemiah. And this is an account of Israel's confession of sin and taking responsibility for the trouble that the nation is in. It represents attitudes and perspectives, which I think are useful to all believers and to everyone who associates themselves with the Jewish people or with the God of Israel. It gives us a, a very useful pattern regarding the troubles that we are facing. And regarding those troubles, it's important for us to be able to say, it's our fault, not God's fault regarding the sins that we are accounting for, it's important for us to be able to say, these are our sins, rather than pointing the finger at others and saying, these are their sins. Because these perspectives, these correct perspectives reflect humility rather than pride or hubris and reflect generosity of spirit. So I wanna start in Nehemiah 9 verse 13, because this verse expresses a very powerful understanding of the nature of God. Nehemiah 9 verse 13 is speaking to the Lord. Lord, you came down on Mount Sinai and you spoke with them from heaven. This is a very interesting idea. You have the convergence of the earthly and the heavenly realms. You came down on Mount Sinai and or plus, you spoke with them from heaven. You see, the Lord entered the physical world of time and space of humanity. And at the same time, he was in the heavenly realm. The Lord came down onto Mount Sinai. This is a fact that Moses wrote about twice. Um, first, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 20. That's a um, reference worth learning about as is the next one, Exodus 19, verse 20. If you can put that in the comment section, it would be great. It says this, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the summit. So here the Lord, the God of heaven, comes down and is physically present on Mount Sinai and enters into the physical realm in such a way that he can speak to Moses and call Moses to a place, the very place where the Lord was. So when you think of God as being everywhere, that's good, but it's also necessary to understand that God can be somewhere specific. Moses understood that. 
So Moses then adds more details in a powerful passage in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 7. I'd like to ask several people to put that reference into the comments section so that everybody who's following along in the comments can see this. Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7 says, the Lord descended in a cloud. Isn't that interesting? He'll do it again. The Lord descended in a cloud. He stood with Moses there and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. This is so interesting. The Lord comes down from heaven and he stands right there with Moses. And then he calls his name, the Lord. And then it says, verse six, then the Lord passed in front of Moses and called out. And just get the picture. The Lord comes down, he's standing next to Moses. And then the Lord shows up in front of Moses at the same time. And the Lord standing next to Moses calls out to the Lord passing by these words, the Lord, the Lord God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion and faithfulness, maintaining loving devotion to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will visit the iniquity of fathers on their children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. I want you to think about this. God was physically present with Moses. When you're thinking about where do you see God becoming present in our world, it's throughout the Torah. And here you have the Lord standing next to Moses, physically present. And this is what the Torah teaches. Even if much of modern Judaism has abandoned this aspect of God's presence, it's recorded for us accurately in the Torah. Here we have the unity of the physical and the spiritual worlds, one united universe that God has created, that he's present in, and over which he is king and Lord. Then let's go to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 15, just a couple of verses ahead, which also unites the mundane world of the physical with the supernatural world of the spiritual. It talks about how God took care of Israel on the journey to the promised land. So I want to tie this in so that you can see something about redemption. You can see something about repentance. You can see something about faith as well. And it starts with how God is and then how he ministers to us. It says in Nehemiah 9 verse 15, in their hunger, Lord, you gave them bread from heaven. In their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. Bread from heaven, that was manna. It was sustenance that could be eaten and which satisfied physical hunger, but its source was heavenly. And then water from the rock, water that could be drunk. So it wasn't just spiritual water, it was physical water, which quenched physical thirst, but the source was spiritual. Water came forth from a spiritual rock, Yeshua. Now, park those ideas and let's move to verse 26, Nehemiah 9, 26, where we look at the confession. Now, this is the first part of the confession. It says, they killed your prophets, Lord, who had admonished them to return to you. They committed terrible blasphemies or provocations. You see, this was the sin of our Jewish people. This was the sin of our people, not some other people, but our people, Israel. When we identify with our people, we don't sugarcoat anything. We have to accept the brutal and honest truth it's the truth about ourselves. We have to tell the truth about ourselves. This is part of our own history. And it shows that we are not so great that we can be righteous on our own. Left to our own devices, we push away against God. We turn against God. And we even resist those who are trying to help us come back to the Lord. That's our problem. That's not somebody else's problem. That's our problem. It's a Jewish problem. But let me assure you folks, it's not just a Jewish problem. It's a human problem. 
And when, when we're thinking about ourselves as human beings, it's important not to idealize ourselves or to skip over our blemishes. Rather, it's important to be brutally honest about human nature. Now we'll go to verse 26, Nehemiah, or rather verse 31, I'm sorry. Nehemiah 9, verse 31, nevertheless, Lord, in your great compassion, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and compassionate God. You see, this is a continuation of the revelation that God gave Moses when the Lord was standing next to him and called out to the Lord who was passing by. The Lord said to the Lord, gracious and compassionate God. Isn't that interesting? It's as if Moses was overhearing the Lord speaking to the Lord. That's really what happened. And because it was written down for our benefit, you and I can listen in and we can consider this. Lord, you are a gracious and compassionate God. Now on to verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and loving kindness, do not let all the hardship seem insignificant before you, which has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria to this very day. You see, it's a plea from humility and honesty, from contrition rather than pride. Lord, please take notice of this hardship. It has indeed come upon us because we are guilty. Our leaders, our government officials, our religious leaders, our families, us, we are guilty. You see, during the month of Elul, it's important for us to adopt this attitude. We are the ones who are guilty. Then we can really come to terms with what we need in order for things to be made right. The real need for atonement. If we can't face our guilt, or if we are only pointing the finger at others and we're not examining ourselves, then the mercy of God will not be experienced. The one who's forgiven much will actually be able to love much. So it's important to be able to appeal to the Lord, not to pressure him as if we are perfect and there's something wrong with him, but rather to say, Lord, we are guilty. It's very interesting because, you know, when, when difficult times come upon a nation, you know what the tendency is? It's to blame other nations, to blame other people, rather than to say it's us and it's all of us. When, when there's trouble, in Israel, when, when Israel started rebelling against the Lord and on the journey from the Red Sea to the Promised Land, the Lord did not allow them to hide behind their past experience of slavery, to blame the Egyptians. You know why we're like this? You know why we're so bitter? It's because of the Egyptians. You know why we're so rebellious? You know why we're so prone to violence? It's because of the Egyptians. It's because of all that we suffered at their hands. The Lord didn't want to hear any of that. He didn't want the people of Israel blaming another nation. He wanted them to take responsibility and to be accountable for themselves. At the same time, what do you do with the hardship that you're experiencing? Well, rather than act like you're not guilty, you admit your guilt, and then you come to the Lord and ask for mercy. That's what Nehemiah is showing us. He's leading us in this passage. We're, we're guilty. Let's go to verse 33. Lord, you are just in all that has come upon us because you have dealt faithfully but we have acted wickedly. This is very important. This is an important aspect of repentance and of self-examination and accountability. Lord, you're just in all that has come upon us. We are guilty, not you, Lord. You have dealt faithfully. We have acted wickedly. And then verse 34, for our kings, our leaders, our priests, our fathers. You see, not just those from a prior generation or somebody else, but us, all of us. 
have not kept your Torah. We've not paid attention to your commandments and your admonitions with which you've had, with which you have admonished us. It's our fault, Lord. You know, one of the coping mechanisms that people have, and it's really insidious, is they say to themselves, I don't really need God to straighten things out. There, there's no law from God that really applies to me. We do what we think is right. We do what's in our hearts. We do what we want. There's no law we need to keep. This is a way of avoiding accountability, but the better way is to humble ourselves before God and to tell him the honest truth about our sin and ourselves. Nehemiah 9.35 goes on, they wouldn't serve you, Lord, or turn from their wicked ways. Folks, this is our problem right here in a nutshell. We wouldn't serve you or turn from our wicked ways. That's the problem in a nutshell. Let's face an important issue. We can be forgiven, yes. That's the whole point of the Lord coming down, becoming Messiah and Redeemer, dying for us, rising from the dead. It's so that we can be reconciled to God and we can be restored to him. But it's important for us to pay attention to this. There is a chasm between us and God, but that chasm has been, has been bridged. There is a chasm that separates us from the Lord, and we need to muster the courage to cross the bridge. And it takes courage, as every Jewish man or woman knows, it takes courage to open your heart to Yeshua as Adonai, as Messiah, as Lord and Savior, and to cross the bridge that reconciles us. Yeshua is the real bridge, and it's through him that we go from one side of separation, we cross the chasm, and we come to the Lord's side. You can remain forever on the other side if you want, but that is a side of despair, of separation, and of judgment, where you're judging yourself and you will be judged in eternity. But when you put your trust in Yeshua, you cross that bridge, and you get to the other side. It takes courage to do that. Now, as I was thinking about this, it reminds me of an actual experience that I had years ago when Sandy and I lived in Rochester, New York. And we went, uh, I went with a men's group I was leading to Letchworth Park, which is often called the Grand Canyon of the East, but compared to the Grand Canyon, you know, it's not so majestic, but it's a great state park. And the men in this group, we all hiked through the woods there, a beautiful place in Letchworth. And we went into the canyon and across the river on a footbridge. It was beautiful. We walked for a long time. We spent the day walking. And then as it was beginning to get dark in the afternoon, when it was time to go back, we had two choices. I didn't know what was ahead for us because I hadn't organized the walk. I was leading the group, but I wasn't leading the hike and this experience. And so we had two choices. We could go back the way we came, but that would take hours and hours because we'd been walking almost all day and nobody wanted to go that way. We really couldn't go that way because it would be too dark. And then there was one more opportunity to cross the river where we now were. But here's the problem. The only way across the river at that point was over a high railroad bridge. And this was a big problem for me, first of all, because I don't really like heights. And when I saw that bridge, it was 24 stories above the Genesee River, 240 feet. It was a bridge that had been built in the 1800s and it was an active railroad bridge. And that brought the second problem, a train could come while we're on the bridge. And so I had these challenges in front of me. Now, for some of you, you don't mind high, some of you love the adrenaline of walking across high places, not me. I'm not made like that. And to be honest with you, I had internal terror operating in me. And then there was one other issue. Walking out on that bridge was technically illegal. There were you know, signs posted to that effect. The police usually didn't bother people, um, but not only was it illegal, but a train could come at any time. 
And even though the trains would come slowly, 10 miles an hour, and they'd blow their horns for a long time before they got there to warn you, I knew that if I got on that bridge, a train could come and it could pass right next to me as I was walking. So you have the heights, you have the, the bridge, you have the train, all of that. And here's the problem, it was the only way across. And I don't think any other guy in our group felt as fearful as I did that day, but I decided to do it. And I, I just did it despite my discomfort, I, I got across. I was sweating, I was nervous, my heart was racing, I got across. And I can tell you that uh, about 30 minutes later, a train did come. I was so relieved. Whew. But I can tell you this, it's much the same. The fear is much the same when we face the spiritual chasm between us and God and we see how big it is. It's much the same when we realize there is only one way across the chasm. It's the way the Lord has provided himself through Yeshua. There is a way across the chasm, the gorge, the canyon, whether it's physical or spiritual, it's fearful. But I can tell you this, on the other side, we have peace and we have rest. There's a wonderful word in Hebrew, gesher. It means the bridge. Rabbi Nachman said, life is a narrow bridge. The whole entire world, he said, is a very narrow bridge. And the main thing is to have no fear at all. Kol ha'alam. Kulo, Gesher Tsar Ma'od, Vahayakar Lo, Vafachat Kala. You can cross the chasm that separates you from God. It takes faith, it takes courage, it takes honesty and repentance. And today is a good day to muster that faith and respond to it, to exercise courage and to be honest with yourself and repent. Today's a good day to make a decision for yourself, to turn to the Lord and to thank him for Yeshua, your Messiah and Redeemer. There's only one way across the chasm, and it's Yeshua. Today is also a good day to share good news with someone who needs the Lord. Maybe there's a friend of yours or a family member who needs the Lord, and you can tell them that they can cross the chasm. It does take repentance. It does take faith in the Lord. I want to encourage you to exercise your faith today and to share your faith with others. Remember, if you test positive for God's shalom, if you test positive for faith, then you can be infectious and contagious and you can spread it to other people. During this month of Elul, we examine ourselves, we take notice of everything about ourselves that's not pleasing to the Lord or to us. And we humble ourselves before God. And we say, God, you are faithful. We humble ourselves before your mighty hand. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Mishpocha, I'm so grateful that you're able to join us in this way. I'm so grateful for everyone who's there in the synagogue this morning. And for those of you who are part of the Mishpocha, who have uh, registered for attending, remember that you can participate through the RSVP system in order to attend services. Those of you who are participating through live stream, live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, or listening via the podcast, we're glad that you can join us in this way. We like to close with Aaron's blessing as we normally do. And so Sandy's going to join me here. And Rabbi Yuri, are you going to join as well? And let's gather together and we'll get ready for Aaron's blessing. Rabbi Yuri and Ina, Rabbits and Ina, you're together and Sandy and I are together. Hi, Sandy. Shalom. <laughs> Shalom. Shalom, Rabbi David. Shalom, Rabbits and Sandy. Shalom. So Shalom, let... Rabbi Yuri. Shalom, Rabbits and Ina. Shalom. Shalom, Mishpacha. So, let's pray together. Yevrecha Donai, Vehishmerecha. Ya era donai panavalecha, vihunecha. Isa donai panavalecha, vayasem lecha, shalom.
May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep watch over you and guard and protect you and be a shield for you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. So Sandy and I want to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for participating in the studies with us. Thank you, my dear Sandy, for sharing scriptures with me. Sandy has really been devoted during this time in the word, and it's helping me in a really powerful way. I love you, dear, and appreciate you so much. And thank you for your studies in the way that they're helping edify all of us. So from Sandy and me, Shabbat Shalom, from Rabbi Yuri, Rabbi Sanina, Shabbat Shalom. Everybody there at the synagogue, can you call out Shabbat Shalom? And thank you for joining us. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>